Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Man, when your child is unhappy and hurting, you're unhappy and you're hurting too. So how much more for God and us as His people, His children, He wants us to be blessed. He longs for us to be a blessed people, and he'll stop at nothing and do everything to keep us on the way of the righteous. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Psalms. A parent is only as happy as their saddest child. In today's message from Pastor J.D., he teaches us from this saying that just as a parent's heart aches for their child who's hurting, so does our Heavenly Father for us. God desires for His children to be blessed, stops at nothing to help lead His children in the ways of righteousness. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Psalms, chapter 1, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Before we jump in, I want to start with an appetizer of sorts before we get the main course. (laughs) I think it'll better prepare us for that which is before us. Uh, First, though, some fast facts about the book of Psalms. Now, there are 150 psalms, which means that it's going to take us about 10 years to get through all of them, especially at this rate, because we're only going to take one psalm tonight. I actually, and God knows I tried, I was going to try to do the first two psalms, but man, as I started getting into this first psalm, I just thought, man, I don't want to, again, rush through it and miss what God has for us in it. So you have 150 psalms, We know that no less than 73 of the 150 Psalms were written by David, also known as the sweet psalmist of Israel. Some believe he actually wrote more than the 73 Psalms that are attributed to him. There's another 11 or 12 Psalms that are written by Asaph, and then 12 were written by the sons of Korah. For those of you who are with us in the study through the book of Numbers, you know who Korah was. This was Moses' cousin, not our friend, <laughs> and certainly not Moses' friend. He actually led a coup against Moses and basically wanted to take Moses' job, uh, to which Moses was more than willing to give it to him, and in so doing said, okay, why don't we all meet here tomorrow morning, first thing, before the tent of meeting, the tabernacle at the time, and uh, we'll let God decide the matter, because apparently you think I take on too much for myself, and I'm this self-promoting, power-hungry guy. By the way, the meekest man who ever walked on the face of the earth, when God called him, what was his response? Here am I, send me, O Lord? No. <laughs> his response was, no. <laughs> and uh, he actually argued with God quite extensively before he finally realized that 
God was calling him and all of the excuses he came up with, God had an answer for. The last one being that he, after spending 40 years on the backside of the desert, had, you know, some believe developed a speech impediment, which you might understand because he was disenfranchised from any other human being while there in the desert. And the only thing he was talking to were sheep. So <laughs> his, uh, you know, ability to speak was uh, so, uh, you know, had deteriorated from the first 40 years of his life where he was in Egypt. And so he just, you know, said, God, I, I can't speak. And so God had an answer for that and said, that's fine. Your older brother, Aaron, interesting, who also with his sister Miriam, also led a rebellion against their own brother, Moses. (laughs) Moses went through quite a bit, not to mention the fact that, you know, he had to deal with the children of Israel who were, I don't want to go back into Exodus, but maybe I do. It was such a fascinating study through Exodus and Leviticus and the book of Numbers. But anyway, actually, I was going somewhere with this. So you got 12 of the Psalms written by the sons of Korah, one by Hezekiah, and actually one of the Psalms written by Moses himself out of the 150. There's another Psalm written by Haman, and the rest of them are unknown. There's no as the one we're going to see tonight in Psalm 1. So in a sense, I guess you could say that they are anonymous and for good reason. Now, that's who it's believed wrote the Psalms, but perhaps more importantly, is what's written in the Psalms. And this is what, to me, makes this book so amazing and even life-changing. The book of Psalms is actually a songbook. That's what the word psalm actually means. It's a song, it's a praise hymnal, if you will, and it's a book of praises in song, poetically, that are written to God. And each of these psalms slash songs are for every and any situation that we experience in life. I spent some time kind of going through some of the commentaries on the book of Psalms, and I happened upon some very interesting comments about this book and the nature of this book. And I just want to share with you a few. I think you'll be blessed by them. Let's start with Matthew Henry. This is what he said about Psalms. He says, we have now before us one of the choicest parts of the Old Testament, wherein there is so much of Christ and his gospel, as well as of God and his law, that it has been called the summary of both testaments. One of the things that's going to become abundantly clear in our study through the book of Psalms is that Jesus is in it and all through it, and it's all about Jesus. Many of the prophecies about the coming of Jesus Christ are in the book of Psalms. I like how one commentator said it. He said, of the 219 Old Testament quotations in the New Testament, 116 of them are from the book of Psalms, many of which prophesy about Jesus's first and second coming. Listen to this. The Gospels tell us Jesus went to the mountain to pray, but 
The Psalms tell us what he prayed. The Gospels tell us Jesus was crucified. The Psalms tell us what Jesus was thinking while he was on the cross. The Gospels tell us he went back into heaven, but the Psalms tell us what he's doing in heaven. Wow. You might say that this book is going to fill in a lot of blanks that are there and connect a lot of dots as well. Charles Spurgeon said this, the, and I like this word, delightful study of the Psalms has yielded me boundless profit and ever-growing pleasure. Common gratitude constrains me to communicate to others a portion of the benefit with the prayer that it may induce them to search further for themselves. Uh, You know, one of the reasons why I wanted to share this quote from Spurgeon concerning the Psalms is that this is also my prayer for us, that this would create within us this desire to satiate this thirst, as it were, to search even further in this magnificent book, the book of Psalms. Martin Luther said this, the Psalms are a little Bible wherein everything contained in the entire Bible is beautifully and briefly comprehended. I think that's well said. And that's true, what the Psalms are about. C.S. Lewis, the most valuable thing the Psalms do for me. Notice the personal expression of how much the book of Psalms meant to these men, these saints of old. He says, the most valuable thing the Psalms do for me is to express the same delight, there's that word again, in God, and I love this, which made David dance. That's okay, by the way, get a little bit Pentecostal and (laughs) move a little bit. I, I hope this book moves you. This book is a moving book. A moving book. Ray Stedman. I'll end with this one. Not the Bible study. Not just (laughs) this portion of the, this is just the introduction. So listen to what Ray Stedman said. The Psalms are much more than poetry. Many of them bear the title Maskil or teaching psalm. They are thus intended to instruct the mind as well as to encourage the heart. They are designed not only to reflect a mood, but to show us also how to handle that mood, how to escape from depression, or how to balance exaltation with wisdom. One of the things, again, that's going to become abundantly clear as we get into the Psalms of David, which I think about Psalm 3, we start the first uh, Psalm of David. Uh, Psalm 1 and 2, the author is unknown. But when we start getting into the Psalms of David, oh my goodness, Uh, they start off and you know that David is in despair and he's discouraged and even depressed as he starts off the psalm, and by the time he gets to the end of the psalm, he has completely changed. None of his circumstances have changed, but in his expression, in that mood, in that 
depression. There's this escape, as Stedman says, from that depression vis-a-vis the psalm. Well, let's jump in, and I want to read the psalm. It's only six verses in length, so hang in there with me, and then I want to sort of take out that which is embedded in this magnificent first psalm. Verse 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But, verse 2, his delight, I love that word. Did I I tell you I love that word, delight? Okay. (laughs) But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord, verse 6, knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Okay. If you were to put a title or a caption on Psalm 1, it would probably have to be along the lines of something like living a blessed life, or this is what a blessed life looks like. And the reason is, is because this Psalm details the characteristics of a blessed life. And it does so by contrasting the ungodly with the godly. The way of the ungodly as opposed to the way of the godly. Now, the brilliance of contrasting is such that the darker the dark, the brighter the bright, and the whiter the white by way of that contrast. And that's what the psalmist is doing here. Now, it's important to note that this word blessed carries with it the idea of, oh, how happy, oh, how blessed, oh, how happy, oh, how content, as one commentator suggests. So when you read it in the context of verse 1, it's, oh, how happy is the one And it's interesting because it's a negative. Oh, how happy, oh, how content is the one who does not sit or stand or walk in the way of the sinner, the unrighteous, the ungodly. In other words, this is the blessed man who does not do this. And I kind of can sort of maybe jam your gears a little bit because you would think that it would be more on the lines of the positive, not on the negative. You know what's interesting to me about this psalm, certainly how the psalm starts out, is that it's not really, and think about this, it's not really teaching us how to be happy, okay? Instead, 
It's a psalm about how to avoid things not to do so that you're not unhappy. In other words, God wants us to be blessed and as such, God has already blessed us. Everything that God has for us, the blessing on us is already there for us. And what the psalmist is saying here is that we have the potential to diminish or lose the blessing of God by virtue of things that we do or more importantly don't do. Namely, sitting in the seat of scorners, walking in the way of sinners, and the ungodly counsel being unduly influenced by the ungodly. Those things erode the blessing that God desires for us and indeed has already given to us. Maybe a better way to say it is Psalm 1 is about how to avoid stripping the blessing of God that brings the happiness in the first place. Would you agree with this? God wants us as his people to be blessed, right? I mean, think about it from an earthly perspective as an earthly parent. Do you not hurt when your children are hurting? I've heard it said this way, that a parent is only as happy as their saddest child. Think about that. A parent is only as happy as their saddest child. Man, when your child is unhappy and hurting, you're unhappy and you're hurting too. So how much more for God and us as his people, his children. He wants us to be blessed. He longs for us to be a blessed people and he'll stop at nothing and do everything to keep us on the way of the righteous and avoid the way of the unrighteous. One of the things about this psalm that I really love is that it paints with magnificent colors, again, this stark contrast. And the, the psalmist goes back and forth between this is what the godly are like and their life is blessed and this is what it looks like. And then contrast, this is what is not so with the ungodly. They're like a tree planted and the ungodly are like the chaff. What a contrast. So we're going to talk about that more in a moment. Notice in verse 1 that the blessed life will be one characterized by, and here's the negative, not walking in the way of the counsel of the ungodly. In other words, if my life is to be a blessed and happy life, I won't allow myself to be influenced by the ungodliness and the things of this world. That's the thing I'm going to avoid if I want to avoid losing the happiness and the blessing of God on my life. It's interesting that, and I don't know if you notice this or not, but it goes from walking in the counsel of the ungodly to standing in the path of sinners to sitting in the seat of the scornful. Now, 
why is that interesting? Because is that not how it starts in our walk with the Lord? We're walking and then all of a sudden there's this undue influence, ungodly influence. And then the next thing you know, instead of walking, we're, we're standing. And then the standing can lead to ultimately, now we're sitting. We start by, by walking in the counsel of the ungodly. And then next thing you know, we're, we're standing in the path of sinners. That's a little bit more permanent, but not as permanent as sitting. You're sitting, right? You're sitting because you plan on spending some time sitting here tonight. But that's not only how it starts, that's how it always ends. And here's the thing, when you're sitting, ultimately, which is how this ends up, it's a good indication that you plan on staying, and you plan on staying because now you find yourself being comfortable in that environment that you're sitting in. See, if you were uncomfortable in that environment, you would not be sitting there. You may not even be standing there. You would just keep on walking, right? But now you're, you're sitting, you're, you're lingering, you're becoming more comfortable sitting there. I think about Peter right before he denied the Lord three times as the Lord said he would. Where do we find him? Very interesting detail that we're told. He's sitting comfortably, warming himself by the enemy's fire. He put himself and found himself comfortable in that situation. And that's what the psalmist is warning against. You want your life to be blessed? Can I say it this way? <laughs> Keep on walking. Keep on walking. Don't stand and certainly don't sit because here's the thing. Sin is progressive. Sin is progressive. This is what Adam Clark says. He says, the great lesson to be learned from the whole is Sin is progressive. One evil propensity or act leads to another. In other words, the walking leads to standing, leads to sitting. And then he says this, He who acts by bad counsel may soon do evil deeds. And he who abandons himself to evil doings may end his life in total apostasy from God. It doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. The poetry of the Psalms evokes emotions of all kinds. The authors' lives were as varied as their songs, yet each point to truth we can't deny. God is still God, always in control, and forever loving His creation. We can rest in the knowledge that our Heavenly Father cares for us deeply and is supporting us, calming us and providing life everlasting. We hope today's teaching on In Spirit and Truth stays with you as you continue on in your day, reminding you of truth and love at every turn. If you'd enjoy listening to more messages from Pastor J.D. Farag, you'll be able to find them on our website at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. We do treasure our connection with our listeners. 
we'd like you to be a part of our social media community. Follow the links on our website to our Facebook or Twitter pages where you can add your thoughts to the conversations while filling your news feed with encouragement and useful information. We'd love to see you here in person at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe if you're in the area too. We hold services every Sunday at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. or come by on Thursdays at 7 p.m. for an in-depth Bible study. Directions can be found on our website. Again, that's inspiritandtruthradio.com. If you can't join us in person, we hope you'll find a local church community soon that you can call home. Having a supportive and biblically-based church is an incredible blessing in your faith experience. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll join Pastor J.D. again to continue studying the Psalms right here on In Spirit and Truth.